uh, is this. Uh, in just a few weeks, we're going to have uh, Blocktober parties. And so if you'd like to help us reach out in your neighborhood or among your own friendships, um, in the foyer today, you can sign up. You can go to on- online at kingwoodchurch.com, and you can sign up there to be a host of a block party. And so you'll be hearing more about that. Most of you got an email from me this week explaining that. Uh, so we'd love to have you help us uh, reach out this fall uh, into, our, into our city, into our county, and um, just watch God use us as we go into all the world, as Jesus uh, said. Now, next Sunday, <clears throat> we're going to start a new series. Uh, and I want to say this to you. If you've been looking around the building and you've been seeing a white poster with a white present on it, and there's no words, and you go, I wonder what that is. How many of you, how many of you have even seen that yet? There's a couple just by the water fountains. Anybody seen that yet? Nobody's been to the bathroom? I- incredible. That means you're all going to get up and go any minute. So if you go to the bathroom anytime in the future of the water fountain, you're going to see that. We're going to start a series next Sunday, uh, and the name of the series is Sex. So for all your friends who say, I'd go to church, but it's not relevant, tell them we've got a series for them. Next Sunday... We're going to start, and there's a little white uh, box. The reason we put that white present on there is because our entire culture has hijacked a great and precious gift that God has given. And so we're going to talk about that in the next few weeks, starting next Sunday. Today we're wrapping up the series on change. Only God can change us. Now you might be here today because somebody said, hey, why don't you come to church with me? They may have invited you, may have bribed you, may have tricked you, may have said, hey, we'll go out to lunch after. But I believe that you're here today because God himself has in some way or another invited you to be here in this moment. And so the reason that anybody would even take the effort to go and invite you to come to church is because uh, so many of us have experienced the change in our life that only Jesus can bring. And we just want other people to know how good it is. We want other people to know how good the life in God is. So in the Bible, you can see that God's all about changing people. He changes people's identities. He changes their name. He changes their location. We can see that going all the way back to the Old Testament. There's a man named Abram that we meet in the Old Testament, if you're familiar with that. Uh, He's a pagan. He doesn't know who God is. He lives outside of Israel, which is who God's chosen people were at the time. He's, uh, uh, he lives in a, a pagan land uh, uh, called Ur of the Chaldees. He meets God. God changes his location. He changes his destination. Watch this. And he also changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Also in the Old Testament, we see a guy named Jacob. He had a bigger brother named Esau. And he was the little brother, the weaker brother, the punier brother, the skinnier brother. He wasn't as strong. His brother was a mighty hunter. He... he he was the, the hero, the one, you know, the athlete, the lettered in all sports. He was the guy. So the little brother, Jacob, learned to get his way through manipulation. He was a liar. He was a deceiver. He was a trickster. He learned to kind of get ahead that way. One night, though, he met God. And when he met God, the Bible says he wrestled with an angel. And then out of that encounter with God, God changes his location. He changes his destination. And he changes his name from Jacob to Israel. Now, one more. In the New Testament, we see the same kind of thing happening. There's a man named Simon who grew up in a fishing village in Capernaum. He meets Jesus. Jesus changed his location. He moves from Capernaum to Jerusalem, and Jesus changes his destination. He ends up dying. He was just a fisherman. 
but he ends up dying a martyr's death. Church history tells us that he was crucified upside down because when the people who were going to kill him for following Jesus pretty much said, we're going to kill you for following Jesus, he said, I'm not worthy to die the same way that Jesus did. So crucify me upside down. And that's what happened. So uh, uh, this man was uh, a very fearful man. And he went from being a fearful, timid man to being a man who would stand with Jesus even in the worst time of life. And Jesus changes his name from Simon to Peter, which means rock. He's now become a rock. He's had an incredible change. Now, we want to look at one person's life today in Scripture, Acts chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put it on the screen. And I want to just walk through his story with you because we can learn a lot about how God changes somebody's life uh, through a man named Saul. Now, Saul's a religious guy. Uh, he's a Jew. He's a, he's a rabbi. Um, he's not just a rabbi. He's a master rabbi. He's a master teacher. He's an expert when it comes to religion. Uh, in other words, this guy is like the gold medalist in religion. He's the Michael Phelps, the Michael Jordan. He's the, he's the LeBron James. He's the guy when it comes to religion. He's the one other people turn to when they don't know the answer to questions or they get into a dilemma or they have a complex issue they don't know how to work out. This guy is the guy. And he's one of the main guys that everybody turns to. But he had one fatal flaw. His flaw was it was all about him. Everything was about him. Everything was about, you know, he was right, and he did the right thing, and he followed all the rules. And, but, so you find Saul in this place where he's doing, all, he's doing all the wrong things for all the right reasons. So Jesus changes Saul's name. Not, not only does he change it to Paul... But we learn in this change, the only way, really, if a guy as religious as Saul can only change by meeting Jesus, then it tells us that none of us are ever going to be able to be good enough to see any kind of change in our life. We've got to have the same meeting with Jesus that he did. So when you meet the right person, it'll change your life. Now, how many of you are, how many of you are married? Put your hand up. How many of you are married? Well, leave your hand up. Wait, 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 wait. Be in a hurry for this to be over. How many of you are married? Leave it up. How many of you leave your hand up if marriage changed your life? You better not put it down. She's right there. Marriage changed your life, right? Yeah, of course it did. When we meet the right person, it changes our life. When I met Stacy, my life changed. We became husband and wife. We became different people than we were before her name changed you know to west and she kind of took on that part of my life we began to take on each other's traits we we both have lived in places neither one of us would have ever lived had we not known each other our life has taken on a trajectory a a, a direction it would have never taken on had we not met each other had she and i not met we we would have certainly never i would have never been your pastor we'd have never lived here it would have never worked out that way so when when you meet the right person your life changes in a lot of ways look when i met her i had never watched one college football game in my entire life like, I watched grown-up football. I didn't watch middle school, right? I know, in a state where there's no NFL, that's like not going over well, is it? 
I watch, I watch the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Super Bowl champions, the dynasty. Man, I watched all Joe Montana and the Miami Dolphins, the San Francisco 40. That's how I grew up. When I met her, you got to understand, this girl bleeds crimson tide red. You know what I'm saying? So when I met her, she said, we got to watch Alabama game. I said, a what? I didn't know Alabama had a team. Are they in the AFC or the NFC? She said, no, no. You gotta understand. And so I understood that it was almost like marrying into a terrorist family. You convert or they kill you. So I said, roll tide. I'm in. And I've been in since then. And and I'm pretty sure when we met, the thought of doing a lot of like outdoor activities had never crossed her mind. And and so what I did is I decided that when we had kids, we were just gonna keep having boys so we would outnumber her. And we did. Our dog's a boy. Like, she has no, no chance. And so that girl has gone with us all over the world, and she's been whitewater rafting and zip lining and camping and fishing and shrimping and all kind of crazy stuff. I'm sure it never crossed her mind to ever engage in until we met. Because when you meet the right person, your life changes. So, like, when I met her, I noticed something about their family that, like, was not a part of my family. Like, they're, they're squishy people. They're squeezy people. Anybody knows what I'm talking about? They see something cute and they want to mash it. They want to squeeze it. Like, I, I didn't understand that. No, you don't understand. It's not a soft squeeze. It's a mash. It is a pinch. It's just going to be a bruise when we're done mashing this cute thing. And so I've had my ears bent and mashed and twisted. It's vi- I said, what are you doing? We just, we saw something cute in my family. We looked at it. I don't know. I don't know how we enjoyed it. I don't remember how we enjoyed it before. I honestly don't remember now. Because now when I see something cute, I want to mash it. I want to squeeze it. And I want to grip my teeth and mash it and chew it. That's all I know. But I didn't know nothing about that before we met. They're like mashy people. And so if you don't ever make the mistake of looking cute, they're coming. And they're going to hurt you. When you meet the right person, your life is going to change. And this is what happened to Saul's life. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way. The way is uh, what Christians were originally called. Before Christians were called Christians, they were called people of the way. Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. And so Paul, who is Saul at this point, is a religious leader, and he wants to kind of stamp out these people. So he's going to find these people who belong to the way, whether men or women, that he might, look at this, he might take them prisoners. This guy's not, this guy's not playing around to Jerusalem. So see, Saul thought he was doing God a favor. He's, he's a religious man. He spent his entire life following rules, following regulations, and it left his life empty. So Paul's going to go what he thinks. He's doing all the wrong things for all the right reasons. And he's going to go fix this, and he's going to protect the Jewish religion, and he's going to keep it pure by imprisoning and persecuting all these people who are people of the way. Uh, Coincidentally, this is the same thing that you see happening in the Middle East today. Religious people who think they're doing the right thing 
They're doing all the wrong things for what they think are the right reason. And Christians are being tortured and persecuted and ran out of their homes and their homes burned and in the worst scenarios, beheaded and executed. Same kind of religious passion that this man had. It is not a joke. Religion, though, never changes anybody. If religion changed people, why would they become so filled with hate and anger and violence and death and destruction? Rules never change anybody. Rituals never change anybody. We sang about it all morning today. It's God's presence and God's presence alone. It's God's grace and God's grace alone that changes any one of us. So here, here Saul is on his way to arrest these Christians. Look at verse 3. We're going to walk all the way through this story, so if you have a Bible, just leave it open there. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Now, in Scripture, light is, uh, if it's not always, it's every, every time I can find, it's nearly always a symbol of the presence of God. When you see light used in some way in Scripture, it is a symbol of the presence of God. So if you read the chapter before Acts 9, if you read Acts 8, you will find that the first martyr, the first Christian ever killed because they followed Jesus was killed, uh, a man named Stephen. And actually the person who brought the charges against Stephen and was ultimately uh, responsible for his death was Saul. That just happens in verse 8. So now Saul goes and gets permission from his authorities. He gets a letter. He's off on his way to Damascus to the synagogue. He's going to go to the synagogue where the Jews worship, and he's going to find anybody that's worshiping Jesus. He's going to find anybody that's following the way, and he's going to put them in prison. He's going to bring them back and put them in prison. So Saul's whole agenda in life was to arrest Christians and make sure they don't hijack the Jewish religion. Verse 4. The light shines on Paul in verse 4. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now this is interesting to me. Saul had never met Jesus, let alone persecuted him. But what it tells us is, is the church is Jesus' family, and when the church hurts, Jesus hurts. Jesus is radically connected to his church and to his family. When people cause Christians pain, Jesus feels it. That's how we understand that scripture. Verse 5, Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, he replied. This is also a curious question to me. Why does he call him Lord and then ask him who he is? Why does he say, Who are you, Lord? That's like, that's like saying, Who are you, Tom? Well, I'm Tom. You just said it. Who are you, Lord? Why would he say, Who are you? Because... Uh, he, he may be saying, I don't, I don't know exactly what's happening to me, but this meeting, this light, this encounter, this experience is so powerful to me, so real to me, so overwhelming to me, I know that there's only one person that could actually be behind it. And it's the true God, whoever that is. And this is how our life is. We're going about our daily routine. We're going about our business. We're getting ready for Monday to go to work tomorrow. We're on our way to work. We're on our way home from work. We're just going through our normal routine, cooking dinner or whatever. And somewhere in the process of life, a light shines on us and our eyes are open and we meet Jesus. And you know what? For some of you, today's that day. For some of you today, the light is shined. The, uh, the light has come on. Jesus has shined His light on you. He's invited you. He's calling you. He's touching you. And that day is today for some of you, just as it was for Saul, on his way in his normal routine. 
Verse 6. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. So Jesus doesn't just want to change Saul. He wants to keep changing him forever. But watch this. He also has a job for Saul. Isn't that interesting? Saul isn't even to- doesn't even know, totally know what's going on yet. I'm on my way to capture Christians and put them in prison. And this light shines on me, and I hear this voice, and it says, Get up, go to the city, I got something for you to do. And you almost hear Saul say, Wait, uh, did I say yes? <laughs> Am I part of this? He has met Jesus, and Jesus has work for him to do. Verse 7. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. So this light, this encounter, this experience has become so powerful to Saul, he is now physically blind. He has physically lost his sight to the point that the only way he can get to Damascus is if somebody takes him by the hand and leads him there. Now, what's interesting to me about this is, if you uh, caught what we just read, Saul saw the light and heard the voice. Did you see that the people with him, that they had a different experience than he did? Did you see they heard the sound, but they did not see anyone? They didn't see the same thing Paul saw. Like they heard, but they didn't see the same thing Paul saw. You know, I think that what it tells us is we can't preimpose our salvation experience on anybody else. The way you came to Jesus, and you came to Jesus, and you came to Jesus, and you came to Jesus might all be different, but it's the same Jesus. And so because you don't have the same struggle that that person has, that I have, that you have, because we, we bring different baggage, we bring different problems, we bring different things, we bring different areas of our life that need to change to Jesus, doesn't mean that it's still not valid and it's still not real and we haven't met the same Jesus. Just because we come from a different, a different background or a different part of the world or, or a different struggle. We bring different struggles to Him, but it's the same grace that meets every one of us there. Verse 9, for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. If you know anything about the Bible, you know that the number three is significant. Uh, Three days is the amount of time the Bible says Jonah was caught in the whale. Three days is how long the Bible tells us that Jesus was crucified, and then on the third day he rose from the grave. Some of you may be here this morning and you've been needing change, but you've been needing it longer than three days. And we try all kinds of things to bring change into our life, and we ultimately fail. We decide, you know, I know what I need. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to quit looking at pornography. I'm going to break an addiction to social media or entertainment or technology. I'm going to stop being so angry. I'm going to spend more time at home. I'm going to invest more in my relationships. I, I remember a family I knew when I was a kid and, and the, the dad was drunk once, and, and he, in an argument with his teenage daughter, just reared back and slapped her across the face and knocked her down on the couch. And it became such a big deal in that family that, you know what, dad was drunk, and he didn't know what he was doing, and he's going to stop drinking, and that's never going to happen again, and he did for about a month. That was 30 years ago, and that man still drinks. You know Why? Because you and I do not have the ability to change our own life. 
We try and we fail and we try and we fail. And the longer we try things and the more we fail, the more frustrated we get because we can't change our own life and we lose hope. Verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. Now, watch, follow this. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man. And all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all of us who call on your name. Don't you love when you try to tell God something he already knows? He said, yes, I understand. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. A Ananias is trying to make sure that Jesus has got the right guy. Wait a minute. I don't think you understand. This is the guy that made sure that Stephen died. Do you remember Stephen? One of our brothers in the way. One of our brothers in Jesus. Do you remember him, Lord? What's well, the same guy? Now he's coming here. The best thing that's going to happen is we're all going to prison. Like the worst thing that's going to happen is we get convicted and found guilty of following the way and we get stoned to death the way Stephen did. Are you sure you got the right guy? Jesus says to him, I've already been to the future. I know what's going to happen. I know what's going on in the future. This is my chosen servant. I have work for him to do. See, here's the thing. When Jesus changed your life, the change puts you to work. The change puts you to, in God's work. And that's what was happening to Saul. You start working on important and eternal things. You're not just working on, oh, it's another Monday. I'm trying to get through another week. Where's my coffee? When's Friday? When's my paycheck coming? No, no, no. You're not just existing. You're not just surviving. You're working on eternal and important things. And that's what God had for Paul. Verse 16. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, I don't know if that was the tipping point for Ananias. Well, if he's going to suffer, I'm going to go get him. You know what I mean? God's going to pay him back. So Saul's life is about to radically change. He's not going to be a rich religious expert anymore. He's not going to be a religious leader with fame and power and influence, which a Pharisee of his status would have had. His destination changed, and the Bible tells us he is going to now not persecute people who follow Jesus but he's now going to suffer for him. Man, that is, I can't think of a greater change. Verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again, so that you may see again, physically see again, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's been changed. He's lost his eyesight. And he's in a foreign country where he doesn't know anybody. 
And now God has sent this man, Ananias, to be his friend, to, to, to meet him where he's praying in his blindness. God's about to remove the blindness and fill him with the Holy Spirit so that he can do the thing that God called him to do. Verse 18 and 19, final two verses. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Later on, if you follow the story, you learn that God changed his location, his destination, and he changed his name. He went from being Saul, and now his name is Paul. Now, this is very, very good news for us today. For the person sitting here who says... I need change in my life, or I've tried to find change in my life. The good news I got for you today is you can't change. That's the good news. You don't have to try anymore. You don't have to work anymore. You don't have to put any more effort toward it. You and I have no ability to change our life. We can't have meaningful change, authentic change, or lasting change by ourselves. But Jesus, by His grace, can change anybody in this room anytime. So let me, let me give you uh, three thoughts I find from this story on, on Paul's life. You're not going to be surprised. Number one, Jesus changes your location. He changes where you're at. Saul was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. Saul still went to Damascus. Watch this. But he went to a different Damascus. He was going there, and all he could think about is when I get to the temple, I want to find those people who are polluting the Jewish religion and messing everything up. I want to put them in jail, and I want to bring them back and, and get them away from everybody else so they don't influence them. Now, look, when we die, we go to heaven if we're Christians. That's our destination. Our destination changes when we become Christians. But that's not the only thing. We should not just look at that. We, should, we look forward to that. But Jesus, when He comes into your life, He changes your life today. He changes your life now. This isn't like a get-out-of-jail-free card in Monopoly in case you need it one day. This is today. This is now. This is here. This happens right in front of our eyes. Jesus wants to change lives today. So see, Saul no longer saw that location as a place where Christians who needed to be persecuted or arrested. When he got to Damascus, he now saw it as a place where there were people who needed to know the same Jesus he just met. So he stayed with the disciples and he ministered there for several days. Look, for those of you who your life has recently been changed by Jesus, you've recently started a relationship with him, or maybe today you're going to, I've got some news for you. Tomorrow morning, Monday morning, is going to be like the same, it's not going to be a perfect day. You're going to get up and go to the same job you left Friday. You're going to sit next to the same people you sat to Friday. If you left problems at the office on Friday, they're going to be waiting for you on Monday. That's not going to change. That's all going to still be there. You'll work for the same boss. You have the same. You don't like your boss, you're probably not going to like your boss Monday. You have coworkers that bother you, they're probably going to bother you Monday. You go to the same school, you go to the same college, you eat in the same cafeteria, you'll eat the same lunch. If somebody's saying bad things about you on social media, they're probably going to keep going on Monday. It's going to keep going. But, 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 but you are going to the same location, but the way Jesus changed your location is you're different. When I got saved, when that happened to me, 
Look, I, my, my parents still live in the same house they moved into when I was one year old. Nothing about my surroundings ever changed in my life. But I still remember the day that I accepted Jesus in my life. I still remember what it was like. I got up the next day and I went to school. I got up the next day and I went to work. I got up the next day and went to all the same places and all the same people. But they all looked different to me because I was different. They were the same, but I was not. And I started to think different, and I started to see things different. It's a different location, because when you see Jesus, scales fall off, and you start to see life in a new way. Once Jesus changes you, you will see that Jesus can also change the people that you love. Here's the second thing I notice. Jesus changes your affection. He changes your location, and He changes your affection. He changes the things you care about. He changes the things you desire. He changes what you love. Verse 18, the Bible says, Paul was baptized. He was immersed in water. Now, what does that even mean? Well, that's a giant all-in move for Paul. It's a huge all-in move. Because to be baptized is to identify with Jesus. Jesus died, so He went down in the grave. And three days later, he came out of the ground alive. He was resurrected. That's what water baptism means. We do that because we go under the water and we say, the old person that I was, it's a symbol. The old person that I was has been buried and the new person that I am has been raised to life. I am, I am identifying with Jesus. When Saul decided to be baptized, he was identified with him. It's like saying... I don't love that old religion anymore. I don't love my status. I don't love the fame. I don't love the money. I don't love the laws and the regulations and the self-righteousness. I don't love those things anymore. I don't know where the phrase came from, but I know it's pretty popular in, uh, in the poker world, all in. I don't play poker, but I understand the concept. You, you got a guy sitting at the table. They have a real good hand. It, they believe it to be unbeatable. They look around the table and they say, there's no way anybody at this table has a better hand than I do. So what am I going to do? I'm going to take everything I got, and what are they going to say? I'm going to go what? I'm going to go all in. I'm going to go, I'm going to lay it all on the line. That means they have something in their hand better than everybody else has. Their hand can beat every other hand. This is what happened to Saul, and this is what can happen in your life. Saul spent his entire life trying to find joy and peace and happiness in a religious system that wouldn't work. And when he met Jesus, he said, I'm done with all that. I'm done with it. I'm going all in right here. Baptize me. So the people he went to arrest are baptizing him. The people he went to put in jail or to kill, he's become one of them. Look, this is exactly what happens to us in our life. We think we can find joy and peace and change by making more money or getting a bigger house or getting a new car or getting your kids graduated from high school or paying their college off or maybe some physical changes. Uh, maybe if you're... If you're a teenager, maybe it's that date to the prom you always wanted. Or, or maybe you had a rough relationship in marriage. And maybe you thought, if I just get divorced and remarried, that's going to fix all this. Maybe having the flexibility and the freedom you wanted. But the truth is, none of that stuff ever satisfies our heart and our soul. Every person on earth is looking for a way to fill the void in our life and we search endlessly until we find it, and we never find it until we find Jesus. 
Last week we had a missionary here, Mike Baldry. I don't know if you caught one of the things he said. He said it is a great time for, for the work of Jesus in China because for years, maybe even generations, many of the Chinese people living in rural areas have lived in poverty and they've lived in poor ways and they've always thought, if I could just get electricity, if I could just get a refrigerator, or if I could just get my own house, if I could just get these things, then I would be happy. Now watch, I'm going to show you how universal this is. He said it's finally starting to happen in China. People are slowly achieving those small purchases and those small things, and they're getting things that we take for granted, electricity, refrigerators, what appliances, a house, whatever. They're getting those things, he said, but you know what they're all finding out now? It didn't change their happiness. It made life easier. It made life more convenient. It made life more modern. It made life more like the outside world. But it didn't change anything in here. And he said it is an absolute incredible time in China right now because they are getting the things they thought would always bring happiness and it's not bringing happiness. It doesn't change the soul. I can tell you this this morning. I, I am not like a great Christian. <laughs> I am not like the greatest Christian you've ever known. But I will tell you this. Jesus changed what I love. When I met Him, He changed what I love. I love things differently now, and I love different things than I used to. I have different values and a different purpose. You may be skeptical. You may be sitting here saying, you know what? I, I can't change. I've tried so many different things. I can't change. You don't know what I've done. You don't know about the abortion. You don't know about the, about the pain. You don't, know about, you don't know what's been done to me. You don't know about the addiction. You don't know about the pills that are in my purse sitting next to me on the pew. You don't know about the bottle that I got hidden in the car that I used to cope. You don't know what I do on the weekends. I promise you this. If Saul can be changed by Jesus, you can be changed by Jesus. If he can see change, you can see change. I, I, I want to say this too. It, uh, our church has deep roots. Our ch I don't know how old our church is. Probably push close to 90 years old, probably. And there's so many strengths and advantages with having a church with deep roots and deep relationships and, and people who, uh, a group of people who've known each other a long time. But let me tell you one of the weaknesses in it. One of the weaknesses is this. Sometimes when you've known people a long time and they haven't changed you start to label them in your mind as an unchangeable person. That person takes on that label, and the people around them take on that label, and they say, you know, as long as I've known old so-and-so, he's been that way, and he's always going to be that way. And, and you might be here this morning, and you've learned very effectively, sitting right in this church, how to live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And you've learned how to straddle them both, and you've learned how to do it somehow. You, you probably aren't as effective as you think you are. More people probably know you're doing it than you think they do. But you've learned how to straddle that fence and straddle that fence, and you're torn between. And the reason that you keep doing it is because you've convinced yourself and you have believed a lie that you can't change. That's the only reason you keep doing it. Because you believe you can't change. You've believed it. You've sucked it into your soul, and it's a reality to you. I've got a word for you this morning. If Saul can change, you can change. 
If Jesus can meet Saul on a road and open his eyes with the revelation of Jesus, today, sitting here in October 2015, I'm telling you by the power of God, your life can change. You can lay it down. You can walk out a new person. Here's the last one. Jesus changes your destination. He changes the end of your story. The story of your life is not over because if you're not dead, you're not done. If you're not dead, you're not done. You know, uh, Pastor Larry, who leads our uh, senior adult ministry, do you know that group of folks has gone? They go, they go to a few local nursing homes and minister. And they do it on a regular basis. Do you know this year, like the year's not even over, 95 senior adults have prayed to follow Jesus and have their heart and life changed through the ministry of the senior adults in this church. Did you know that? Like, if you're not dead, you're not done. God hasn't given up on you. He saved you for a reason. Don't write the end of your life story off yet. You still have a lot of living to do. He'll change your destination. That means you're going to be in heaven when you die, but it also means He has stuff for you to do here. I remember when I first met Jesus, He totally rewrote my life story. I was a quiet, average kid. No passion, no direction, had no idea what I wanted to do in life or be in life. And when Jesus came into my life, I'm going to tell you, he radically changed me at 15 years old. And I started growing and change. And I started becoming a different person every day of my life. I'm the first, uh, I'm the first male to ever graduate high school from my family. I'm the first person in my family to go to college, even attend college. He changed everything about my life. I wouldn't have married the person I married. I wouldn't have the children that I have. I wouldn't know the people. I know people in four states today. I could pick the phone up this morning and I could say, I need your help, and they would help me. And that's by the grace of God. Everything changed, and God has used me to do really important things in people's life. You can't convince me that God can't change your life because I am one. My life has been changed. I'm not the person that I was. And I want to speak hope, and I want to speak faith, and I want to speak possibility, and I want to speak optimism, and I want to speak the reality and the truth of Jesus that if my life can change, your life can change. Do you know what happened to Saul? He became one of the most influential and effective Christians that ever lived on the earth. He talked about Jesus. Remember that light? He said, I, Ananias, I have important things for him to do. He's going to stand and talk about me in front of kings, in front of leaders, and in front of the Gentiles. And do you know that's exactly what Paul did? He wrote a big portion of the New Testament. Do you know almost everything we know about how the church works comes from Paul? Almost everything. people all over the world today who are living different lives and whose stories have taken on a different adventure because Jesus has changed them. If He can change them, He can change you. Here's the last thought this morning. If you want a different destination, it starts with changing your location. If you want
want a different destination, you have to move. You have to take a step. You have to reach out. You have to respond. When Paul saw the light, he had to decide, I'm going to let this stranger who I don't know, or this, these traveling companions, take me by the hand blind and lead me into a city where I don't know anybody and I'm actually coming to do people harm. I've got to take a step of trust. I've got to say, all right, time for me to move. If you want to lose 20 pounds, you got to move. If you're in a bad relationship, you might have to move. If you want change to come in your life, you have to move. You have to take a, you have to take a step. So I, I want every eye closed this morning. Nobody looking around. Every eye closed. I just want you to be in, in an in a attitude of prayer. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin to pray right now. I just want you to start to pray. That's what I, everybody in the room, I just want you to start to pray. If you need change in your life, I want you just to start praying. I just want you to start praying. Lord, help me. Lord, I hear you. God, I, I need you in my life. I just want you to pray. God, I need you. I need you. I need you. I want you to help me. Help me, Lord. Help me to find you. Help me to change. Help me to become the person you want me to be. Help me to become the person you want me to be. If maybe, maybe you're already a believer and you need change in your life. And you say, God, I need change. I want you to pray. I just want you to pray right now. Just, Lord, I need change. I need you to change me. I need you to help me. God, I need you to help me. I need you to help me today. Maybe you've lost hope over a situation you need hope. God, I need hope today. God, I reach out to you. I take a step toward you. And I ask you for hope this morning. God, give me hope. If you, if, you need a, if you need a relationship change with Jesus, in other words, you need to be forgiven. You need to become a Christian. You need to pass from death to life. You need your life changed this morning. I want to just say a prayer with you right now where you sit, and I want you to pray with me. I just want you to pray with me. Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life. God, I ask you to make me new. I ask you to change me. God, I ask you to change my mind. I ask you to change my thoughts. I ask you to change my life. Lord, I ask you to forgive me for everything I've ever done wrong. God, I give up on trying. I give up on doing it by myself. I give up on becoming the person I can be without you. I turn to you, and as we sang earlier this morning, in Christ alone, in you alone, I go all in today, and I trust you this morning. I go all in today. God, help me. Help me today to live with you. With every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer, I just want you to lift your hand and say, I prayed that prayer. Every eye closed, I prayed that prayer. I see your hand. See your hand. Thank you. You prayed that prayer, I just want you to lift your hand and say, I prayed that prayer just now. I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. In the balcony, I prayed that prayer. Just lift your hand. You prayed that prayer today. Prayed that prayer today. Maybe today you prayed and asked God for hope. Maybe you're a Christian this morning and you asked God to bring change in your life. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to lift your hand now. I just want you to lift it. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Somebody else, yeah, yeah, all over the room. Yes, 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 yeah. 
Here's what I want you to do. Nobody looking around. In just a minute, I'm going to have you stand. And we're going to close this service. But when you do, when you stand, here's what I want you to do. Without hesitating, without thinking, without, without anything. Matter of fact, if you lifted your hand, I want you just to look at me. Everybody, only if you lifted your hand, I want you to look at me. Everybody, look, look here and look at me. In just a minute, I'm going to pray. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to stand. And when I ask you to stand, I want the prayer team to come. And I want you to come. And I want you to pray. And I want you to, to meet Jesus. And I want you to experience the same change that Saul did. And he became Paul. I want you to hesitate. I want you to move. Lord, I thank you this morning for the change that you've brought in this room. I want every prayer team member to move now. I thank you for every change that you did and that you're doing. You haven't given up on us. You love us. You are moving change in this place today. And so we yield to you. We surrender to you. We give our life over to you. In Jesus' mighty name, as the worship team begins to sing now, I want you to stand to your feet. And as you stand, if you lifted your hand, I want you to come right now. Everybody stand. Everybody stand.